Welcome to the business of being well. If you're a hands-on practitioner who wants to grow a profitable business without working your life away, you're in the right place. So sit back, take a deep breath, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the business of being well. The business of being well is still like a hard thing for me to get out of my mouth because I just changed the podcast name and it was five years of a different name. So anyway, welcome to the business of being well. I'm here today with Leslie Cornwell. Leslie is a midwife. I'm going to let her introduce herself and share more about who she is. And we're going to talk all things midwifery today. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. My name's Leslie Cornwell. I am a certified nurse midwife. I've been practicing for nine years as a nurse midwife. I've done hospital birth center home setting. And the last four years, I've ran a company called Midwifery Business Consultation. So I help midwives all over the country um, start practices, expand on their practices, or even those unique niche things that sometimes midwives don't really think about. So you and I are very similar with like multiple revenue streams and empowering chiropractors and midwives with that business financial knowledge is really important. How did you decide to become a midwife? What took you into that career path? Well, it was actually interesting. Um, I never grew up around it. I had a lot of cousins. I was the oldest. Um, I babysat a lot. And it was when I was 16, I saw a channel called the Birthday Channel. Now as a midwife, I'm like, okay, it's kind of like pushing people one direction. But it was my exposure to midwifery. Like it was, I was like, what is a midwife? I've never heard that. And then as soon as I Google searched, as soon as I I interviewed all the midwives in the area, um, and I really learned about this. I always knew underlining. I was a woman empowerment person. Like if there were comments made, I always knew something I was going to do to advocate for women's rights. I just was like, oh my gosh, you can get paid to catch babies and be part of the coolest part of their life. And they like, it's kind of like to me, like wedding planning, like you have this passion and it's a lifetime event and it's positive and it's lighthearted. Um, So yeah, the more I learned, I figured out the different educational paths, which I know you and I wanted to talk about. There's about eight different routes to become a midwife all over the United States. And so it got really confusing, like, okay, what kind of path, what makes the most sense short-term, long-term for me is becoming a midwife, but one for consumers to figure out. Um, I chose to be a nurse midwife because I felt like, and not necessarily I wanted to be in the hospital setting. I I liked the more alternative route I wanted to do out of hospital practice, but there weren't midwifery regulations in Michigan at that time. They just came out this last spring. Um, So, I mean, that was 16 years ago um, that I was making this decision. And I felt like I wanted the best of both worlds. I wanted the educational knowledge. I wanted the medical training. If I could have a choice to work, maybe I'm not going to stay in Michigan. All um, licenses for certified nurse midwives in the 50 states, but for certified professional midwives, it varies. Some of the states, there was worries of going to jail. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to practice that way when I start out. So that was my thought process and went to nursing school just to be a nurse midwife, had my three babies at home, ran a private birth center home birth practice in Michigan. Um, And that led me down that rabbit hole of the business consulting side, because I got really burnt out with not getting that training for the business side. I had the love and passion, but it kind of ate away at my identity, just being a midwife and a business owner. I can only imagine how hard it is to manage the schedule that a midwife manages, but then having a family on top of that seems nearly impossible in my brain. How do you do it? It's extremely challenging. Um, I am very passionate about uh, midwifery burnout. There's another great uh, midwife that does um uh, it's called Believe in Midwifery, and she actually has an eight-hour course to how do you structure your practice. Um, a lot of the older generation of midwives was so low, and I joke, but don't joke. It was kind of like the nun midwife. You just gave your heart and soul. There was a high divorce rate. A lot of times the kids didn't like you when you got older, but you just wow. you gave to midwifery until your body couldn't do it anymore. And the younger generation tends to like, I want a good work-life balance, mm-hmm. which the challenge is they tend to want to join a hospital system with a bigger support in in place because they want to be on call. They want their office. They want to break. Um, when you're doing private practice, particularly home, it's a very demanding. If you don't have a good support of other midwives in that community, 
it you're that's what I for five years I didn't get a vacation um there's a reason my kids are eight ten and two um I just couldn't be anything but a midwife I couldn't separate from the practice because and in that adrenaline there's a lot of research with healthcare providers and just always constantly feeling available having backup plans we'd always have to drive to places um with two vehicles we'd always have I've, I've disappointed my kids many times with missing recitals missing baseball games missing things or weddings for cousins. Like I just, when a mom calls and says, I need you, you are available for a five week window. So it's definitely, I'm a big passion of two to four size midwifery practices so that you can get a break. If somebody all of a sudden needs their kids sick, their mom's not doing so well, they still can be there for their family. But the other midwife all of a sudden isn't being asked to be on call 24 seven because her partner is needing something else. So there's a balance. There definitely is. um, And there's, especially with COVID now and the pandemic, so many midwives, they were already terribly busy, but they're to the extreme because of that guilt of, oh my gosh, there's not a lot. The hospital is the sick house. It only took a pandemic to figure out home birth and um, out of hospital practice is normal. So the midwives are crazy, crazy busy across the country. And I'm seeing burnout the last year more than ever. And so it breaks my heart. This cyclical cycle is happening. That is the same problem that we have in chiropractic, where it's like, as your business grows, you have more people that you're supporting, the challenges get more demanding. And um, it's everybody's mission to help people and to make money, and really just to serve more people, right, and help them live better and healthier lives. But in that journey, it is so hard, especially for the heart-centered person to also take care of themselves. And I would love to see more hands-on practitioners know that, like know how to structure their businesses so that they don't get to the point where they're like, I can't do this anymore. This is so unhealthy for me that I have to stop. And maybe sometimes stopping means just taking a break for weeks, months, years, and then going back into, into the modality that you chose for healthcare. But other times it means, you know, going into um, employment somewhere else. And ultimately, especially for us as chiropractors, I could imagine that this could be the case for midwives too. Like our student loan debt is just so, so high. And there are not many employment opportunities available where you're going to earn the income that you could as an entrepreneur. So it's a catch 22. It's like, you want to help a lot of people, but helping a lot of people can really be draining. You want to make a lot of money, but you got to help a lot of people to do it. That's why multiple, multiple streams of income are so important too. Well, and I think you've brought up a lot of great points when we're part of the healthcare system. I know with chiropractors and midwives in every state's different. There are some insurance that cover midwives, but the rate of reimbursement is not the time that a midwife is is putting. It's more of the traditional medical system where they're getting a facility fee for the hospital. The nurses are doing labor support. The doctor provider comes in towards the end, catches the baby. Like there's such a different demand on the midwives and out of hospital with that high quality personalized. They feel so much pressure if they're like, okay, I'm going to accept insurance, but now they're in that assembly line model where they've got to take more and more ladies to make the numbers work out. Um, A lot of them nationwide that have figured it out long-term, they stay cash. They're out of network with the insurance companies. If they're going to bill, they have an outsource. They have a very system in place because it is important to know, am I self-employed or am I a business owner? Because if you can't step away, if you're exchanging your time for money, that's a very vulnerable place to be. And especially as midwives, I know chiropractors, it's like, okay, if you decide in a month, two months, you'd have an easier transition. Midwives have to think nine months in advance. Um, a lot of like, it was hard to say, okay, I got to close my practice. But if there's not places that these ladies have waiting lists from eight to 10 weeks and when they're pregnant, let alone transfers at the end. So it is, it's a very hard decision when you're like, I want to start this practice. It's growing too big. I'm exhausted. What are my options? So yeah, I I think chiropractors and midwives have a lot more in common than we realize. So at some point in your journey as a midwife, when you were feeling really burned out, you changed that and you started to do things differently. What did you do? What did that look like? How did you know that you needed to do something differently? Oh, 
I kept telling myself it'll get better for six months. I kept ignoring the signs. I kept saying it'll get better when I have this new midwife on the team and we weren't a good fit. And then it was like, it'll get better because I just have to play catch up. And I was actually falling more and more behind the hole I was getting in was getting deeper and deeper and darker. And when I, I think the biggest hallmark was when my son said to me, my oldest, after three days of being gone, and I promised to read his bedtime story, we were within minutes of opening up that story and reading. And guess what? I had to leave for birth. It's like the universe was talking to me. Mm -hmm. My son literally was like, I want a new mom. And that crushed my soul. And I started bawling instantly. And then he paused my sweet older son. And he's like, I want two moms. I want one that can go help that lady that needs you now. And I want one to read this book for me. And that's when I hit a wall. Like I am going to lose my husband and my children to being a midwife. So it was hard. It was very difficult because I knew the demand. It was the first birth center in the country, in the, you know, in the Michigan, it was the, It was so needed. We grew so, so fast and there was such a need for it, but I couldn't fill that need with the knowledge I had. I didn't have the strong business sense to set up the right foundation. I planned for a year and a half. I made a business plan. I did a small business association. I did all these things I thought, but midwives, and I'm sure chiropractors too, you're not trained much in business. If you've got a great apprentice that can help you with that side, but otherwise it's hard knocks. Um, it's always interesting along among midwives, even with starting birth centers, they don't help each other much. It's kind of that mentality of, well, I had to re- work really hard to figure this out myself. So you've got to do the same thing. And I was like, how do we break this wheel? How do we break this cycle? I have went through such heartache. I am a suicidal. I'm so depressed. I've lost my identity. I want nothing to do with midwifery anymore. How do I... I want to support women and I want to support, but I can't be, be it being a midwife right at this point in my life. So I started going down the rabbit hole of truly passive income and Google searching. How do the rich do it? Obviously I'm a hard worker. I I'm smart. There's something I'm missing and going down that rabbit hole of the mental state and the, the passive income, the real estate, the multiple business streams, not being self-employed. I mean, Robert Kiyosaki and the, the four cash flows, like, going down that rabbit hole was eye-opening to me and understanding tax and legal and taking courses after courses. I took a year and a half of real estate investing courses. I've taken dozens and dozens of business and legal and tax and things that are so powerful that it's going to help more midwives serve more families. And and I'm not the typical midwife personality. Most of them that just would make them vomit. It would be like, oh my gosh, because they're the art, their creativity. I grew up with all the engineers and the systems and numbers. So I, I saw the power of supporting families by knowing this stuff and passing it on to the midwives from the beginning. So I really love working with um, newer midwives, midwives in school, so we can break the cyclical cycle because there's not, it's, it's that mindset well, if I need more money, I'm just going to take more ladies. And when I do my consulting, it tends to be, let's look at when's the last time you've updated your fee schedule. Let's look at your taxes. Let's look at some of these other things that many times a a midwife wouldn't even think about. Yep. Same story, different profession. (laughs) Um, And so I think it kind of I I might be asking the same the same question here that you've already answered, but in midwifery, is there a culture of to be successful, you need to see more patients? Like it's just focus on more patients, more clients. I think it's interesting depending on what generation of midwives in the areas, it's so diverse. Um, I think the definition of successful, I mean, historically has been, you just give the more ladies you have, you're the, you're the better practice, the bigger volume. I mean, there's some ladies that take 15, 20 solo, no birth assistant, do their own thing. And I'm like, you guys are crazy. They live and breathe midwifery, but that's not the newer generation. I think now the definition of successful is I'm happy I am a mom, but I'm also being able to serve families. I, I've truly seen that shift, but a lot of the midwives are choosing, especially nurse midwives, certified professional midwives, they have to start their own practices. They can't get employed um, by hospital systems. So they go into a training that I'm going to start my own business. There's a lot of nurse midwives I truly believe would start their own private practices if they felt more confident with the business education side. Um, it's that balance, that fear, that security blanket when you've been a W-2 employee and no 
nobody has taught you how to be a business owner. And we hear this five-year, 90% fail rate. That makes people nervous. So I try really hard with a lot of education, um, inspiration. So I joke, I'm like midwifing the midwives. Like we have to talk often about the psychology of being a midwife is with women. It's not catching babies. So maybe a midwife doesn't want to be on birth call, but she can serve in so many other wonderful ways. And I think chiropractors can do the same thing. There's so many things part of our scope, starting a women's health clinic, starting an infertility clinic, um, doing a breastfeeding. I mean, there's so much we can serve and offer that's private practice that doesn't have to be the traditional birth center home birth practice. Which is really eye-opening for me because I, I don't think that I ever really realized how many options you have or someone has um, that chooses to learn midwifery, like in their clinical studies, what they can do. Um, well, first, like the different options for how you study midwifery, right? And then what you can do with that um, degree, that education afterward in regard to your career path. So you said before, there are eight different paths that you can choose. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you break those down for us? Yeah, I'll, so I'll go the high level, Eric. I don't want to get it too confusing, but the the path I chose, certified nurse midwife, is a master's. Typically in nursing, I actually have a master's in midwifery from the school I got it at, um, and it's licensed in all 50 states. Some states are a little more autonomous than others. Um, meaning you some like, for example, in Michigan, a nurse can't start a business legally. So you have to collaborate with a physician. Um, and then some states it's completely autonomous, like in Alaska and Washington and Oregon. Um, and so that, yeah, you have to go to nursing school, you get a bachelor's in nursing, then typically the schools require a year of later rare and delivery um, experience. Some do, some don't. And then you get a master's. So that's the route I took. It took me eight and a half years. Um, And then the other routes are a certified midwife is very similar. They just didn't have a bachelor's degree in nursing, but they took the same graduate courses with me. Um, So it's a a master's in midwifery. Um, The ones that tend to be more birth center home birth practices are certified professional midwives. And that's a MEEK. It's a a midwifery educational um, process. It's an apprenticeship model. It takes on average three to five years. And the challenge with that is is um, it's very fluid. It's very, there's a core competency, but it really bases on how good your mentor is or the mentors you choose. So you have to be very careful when you're choosing your clinical sites and your training because a lot of it, you get online training, but it's more like that clinical on-site aspect. Um, Nurse midwifery, we do get on site, but it tends to be more hospital setting. I worked really hard during my midwifery training um, to get an Amish birth center and get the actual contract created. It hadn't been done before. So um, there are a lot of choices. The ones that are less known, if there's not midwifery licensure in that state, or if they chose to not do a more official apprenticeship and take this international certification, it's more of a direct entry midwife. Um, I know some communities, especially when they serve a a religious congregation. I've heard them referenced as biblical midwives. So they tend to be more of the underground, like I serve this community. I've been taught by by catching babies for other women in our congregation or community. Um, and so it's a very, it tends to be just learning from other women versus another midwife. Yeah. Who knew there were so many different options? I mean, I, I knew like Certified nurse midwife, certified professional midwife. Um, certified midwife, and then a direct entry um, midwife doesn't have an informal, like some sort of certification. Licensed midwife literally could be a different educational path. It's just now I have a license in that state to practice. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like they had a unique education. So a lot of certified professional midwives are licensed midwives or direct entry in that state. Mm-hmm. How does someone decide before they really have worked in the profession? which of those training options to pursue? You know, when I talk to students, I'm actually working on a, a, an online resource because I've, I've met a couple amazing students that have made spreadsheets, literally pages and pages of spreadsheets about the schools and the routes and the thought process. It's insanely complicated for a midwife to decide what path and then to know in the future how the regulations are going to change, what state Mm -hmm. you're going to practice in. Because if you choose to be a certified professional midwife, you're thinking, okay, as of today, these are the states I can practice in. And they are slowly adding more. But there's, I mean, on top of consumers understanding midwives, like when you think about becoming a midwife, you get just as confused. (laughs) 
Wow. Yeah. And like with many other things, it's hard to really know what you're getting yourself into until you're in it. And then, you know, you might think like you made the wrong decision. There's just decisions that it. <laughs> There's lots of oh, wholeheartedly. I would think sometimes, so like in Michigan right now, now that we have regulations, certified professional midwives have more autonomy in this state as far as business and um, practicing than the nurse midwives do. And before last spring, that wasn't the case. And so it's very interesting to me um, how things transition. And you think, okay, ebb and flow, and um, do I need to move? Do I need to adjust my practice? Do I need to do X, Y, Z? Those are a lot of variables, midwives when you're creating a business plan, you're already trying to predict what are the regulations? What's there's no birth center regulations in Michigan that, I mean, maybe in a couple of years, they'll be here, but that can affect your, your success and what structure you're going to support. Okay. So we've talked about the options of like the training that's available, the education that's available to become a midwife after you've completed that what happens next? How do you know what career path to take? So I would say if you chose a certified professional midwife, you're going to start a home birth birth center practice. A hospital isn't an option in any of the states. Um, and it's knowing your regulations. Some of them have to practice with a written collaboration for a, with a physician. I mean, you have to be very careful. Some of these states um, if there isn't any licensure, you could be accused of practicing medicine. So you have to know your regulations really well and um, what other midwives are doing, what the business structures are, um, and what risk you're comfortable taking with your family. I know a lot of midwives will move across country or move to a state just to practice how they want to practice. Um, for certified nurse midwives, most of them, when they graduate, have the mindset, I'm going to join a hospital team. And it's typically full scope in, in the beginning because you want to get enough experience. A lot of times, similar to family nurse practitioners, if you pick a specialty right from the beginning, you tend to be narrowed into that. So most new graduates tend to say, well, I'm going to catch babies and I'm going to be in the hospital setting. I'm going to join a team so I can have lots of support. Um, and I truly believe we'd have a lot more home birth birth center midwives as the nurse midwife route if there was more resources, empowerment in the educational process of what that could look like. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of them feel very disappointed when they graduate because this mindset of what a midwife would look like. And then the healthcare systems are just becoming bigger and bigger as time goes on. I know I went through those battles of, I envisioned this Ina May uh, midwife I was going to be for the hippie, the Amish, kumbaya, and then I get out to the reality of like, I'm part of this big healthcare system, even if I have my own private practice. And so how do I ethically and morally um, adapt my core being of why I became a midwife to what is the current system like? Ooh, well, let's talk more about that because it doesn't sound to me like you struggled to, um, to attract clients to your business, right? Like your business was probably going, growing really quickly, even from the start, what was yep. working well for you to, to bring new clients into your business? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely when I talked about the system, it was definitely a consumer demand. Um, there was a lot of wonderful certified professional midwives. There was a couple in the state that were certified nurse midwives. I was the only one I had malpractice insurance and I was in network, especially with the Affordable Care Act. Um, I really took the next level of, I want this to access many women. Medicaid doesn't pay for out of hospital births in many states, but I had specific contracts where I was in network for the prenatal care, the postpartum care. And then I had an adjusted cash rate that was for the birth. So I had a service and an opportunity to offer that none of the other midwives that I was aware of in the state was even offering to families. I it was insane how people would drive two, three hours because it was, they got their insurance. They didn't have to stress. I'm going to pay three, $4,000 for my midwife. It doesn't count towards my deductible. And now I just transferred the hospital versus if I go to the hospital, it's covered a hundred percent. I mean, that's really frustrating. Um, and that's a big barrier to access to midwives. Um, so when I was referencing challenges with the system, it wasn't so much the client demand. It was the malpractice insurance being crazy expensive, the the, the, the challenges with getting a collaborating physician, um, wanting to get hospital privileges so we can make smooth transitions. Um, 
I mean, there was a lot of backdrop challenges in the system. I mean, not having birth center regulations, if the family chose the facility, it was cash. I couldn't even get that option. So it ended up a lot of ladies would start out thinking they wanted the birth center. And then as time went on, they got the education and realized a birth center is a home away from home. I would, I would love to see more of the stats of that, that mentality shift throughout the pregnancy. So yeah, a lot of home births, even though I had a facility upkeep. Um, and yeah, that number game, when you're trying to keep up with CLIA and all these regulations in the backdrops, it all adds up. The families don't realize. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. People, well, people don't realize like how much it costs you to run your business, but also how much time it takes you to not just work in your business, but also to run your business, to do all the things that you do behind the scenes. One of the things I always cringe when I hear is when, when someone says, Oh, you only see patients one day a week. And I'm like, uh, well, like (laughs) whether they're saying that to me or, you know, about someone else, I'm like, they don't realize you like, you can't take that personally. They don't realize how much you have to do in your business. That is not direct patient care. Yeah. I always see the equivalent to one hour in front of them. I tend to have one hour of paperwork or labs or follow-up and ultrasound or playing phone tag. Like people don't like I, after we would see people for eight hours, I wouldn't get home till midnight many nights because I was doing all this stuff at the office just to keep up with the insurance follow-ups, the balances, the regulation licensure renewals. I mean, there was so much in the backdrops that clients, all they saw was you in front of them for that half hour to an hour. And that, in the, in their mind. So we always try to make clear expectations. Like I'm a midwife. I serve many women. I'm a mom. I have paperwork. This is the standards of running a midwifery practice and trying to get a better understanding that it's not me just catching fun babies and being only waiting for you. And I'm sitting in the office waiting till you come in. It's, it's, it's hard to get that shift. <laughs> I developed a process over the last few years of um, like helping people who feel really overwhelmed in their practice helping them to refine, um, a work schedule that's more based upon not what they think is the best hours to be available for their clients, but when is it really best for them themselves and for their family, for them to be working? So they lay out their ideal work week. No, sorry. They lay out their ideal life first in a week, like the time that you would want to be, um, spending on, meal planning, food prep, exercise, reading a book, uh, taking a hot bath, like just doing simple things that we would otherwise put off and hope that we could make time for one day, right? Like we put those things into a calendar and, and really try to like get as much onto that calendar as you can think that like fills you up, not just stuff to do, but like what replenishes you and helps you feel like you're your best. Then look at how much time is really left over after you've taken care of yourself, taking care of your important people, your family, that's your work time. And then they're like, Hmm, okay. Then I have them cut it in half for the exact reason that you just mentioned, which is like one hour of, of direct patient care is also one hour of behind the scenes stuff to do, not in the ideal situation, <laughs> but it really helps them to shift their perspective. Like, Oh, I've got to make time for all of those things too. And they're often not doing that. And so of course, and they're, they're staying up late, getting up early, working all weekend, trying to squeeze those extra things in. Yeah. And then they get their self-care and that depletes greatly because when you budget, like it's always interesting to me, especially like midwives, very few make business plans. And if they make a business plan, they're not truly accounted for. Well, I'll just do that. I'll do that. I'll start small. I don't have the money, that value of their own time. I'm going to cut the grass. I'm going to I'll be the one that does the appointment reminder calls. And we start talking about like, okay, start your budget from the beginning with these people on the team. Maybe you're good at it, but is that the most cost effective thing for your skills and your talent of being the business owner and the one to see the families when you can leverage out amazing? I mean, marketing, especially midwives are very hesitant to hire a marketer. And I'm like, you didn't go to school for eight years for this. We respect our own training. And there's just so much. You could spend 10 hours doing something another marketer can do for 10 minutes. Does that make sense of your valuable time? That's a really important perspective to have because 
Well, especially as caregivers, we tend to think we can do it all or we should do it all. I think as women in general, we think we're super ladies. (laughs) Well, yeah. And you know, it's, there's like kind of like two sides to the same coin here. One side is like, we think that we're so good at all the things, so we should do them. And the other side is we feel guilty asking for help. We think we can't afford it. We shouldn't spend the money. All the like the reasons that we feel that we shouldn't have help or we shouldn't have support. Um, so I think both of those things can like be going on for someone at the same time. <laughs> they think that they're so good at it and it's also not okay to ask for help. So I'll just do it myself. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of psychology with owning a business. We do just as much business planning as we do professional development because the psychology of money and the that that shift of return on investment and asking for help is a smart business move. It's not that you're weak. It's not that you um, can't do it. It's not the most, you're like refocusing your, your time is your most precious asset. And that was a big shift to me because I'm like, I'll just keep working hard. It'll get better. It'll get better. And I just felt like the rat wheel was spinning faster and faster and faster. And I'm like, I'm going to fly off and it's not going to be a good flying off. And so I wanted to, how do I create a system where, yes, I don't mind working hard in the beginning, but it's got a strategic plan that's that's actually calculated and I can figure out that's going to get me to this level of passive income financial freedom. And now I can serve a lot more families. Like before I would be able to serve five, 10 ladies a month doing my own private practice. Now with having a business model, I can serve the entire country. I can make a system. I can make this knowledge in my head, this knowledge that I could maybe pass on one lady at a time in an hourly time. I've shifted into online courses. I've shifted into templates, tools, downloadable things they can use whenever they want. So things that are that are easy. And I think that's what a lot of midwives or even chiropractors like revenue streams, we all have these unique niches and powers and talents. Like how do we leverage that into a more systematic side hustle that'll eventually take over your income? And then your midwifery model can be your love. It can be, it's not about the numbers. It's not, you've got that another way. I think that's very powerful to me too. Amen to that. Yes. I, I think sometimes people have the misconception that because I teach hands-on practitioners how to start their own online course, essentially their own online business, that I think that they like that practice isn't good enough or like you can't make the money you want to doing those things. So you should look for alternatives or whatever. Right. But I'm doing it to give them the ability to have the time freedom and the financial freedom that they really want to have. And if you're always limited by how many people you can squeeze onto your schedule, you're always going to be limited in how much money you can make. I think you and I have talked about this before. And additionally, it makes your hands-on care so much more fun and relaxed. And um, you can take the clients that you want to take, not those that you feel like you have to take when you have another stream of income Well, and the business philosophy gets set up completely different. Like I joke, but don't joke. When we make business plans, I keep the numbers out till later because you're going to morph and you're going to decide your creativity to the ultimate passion of yours without the numbers. And then once you have the um, numbers, you're like, okay, maybe the numbers don't add up. Let's add other revenue streams to make the numbers work. So this dream practice of yours happens. Um, We talk as financial planners, diversify, spread out your risk. Like why can't it be that way in business? It's not just about, well, I'm going to offer home birth birth center. That's me diversifying. No, no, no. You're still exchanging your time for money. Mm -hmm. So having these other automated, I mean, I talked to semi-retired midwives, 30, 40 years experience. They're not tech savvy. We create a win-win situation. They have this phenomenal knowledge. Um, I have a perfect example. There's a wonderful lady that does an ultrasound course. She, Carolyn Gagger, she's phenomenal. She was traveling all over the country. She was exchanging her time, go on site, teach a few midwives. It was $1,500 midwife plus you had to pay the travel. Very few midwives could afford it. And now I've helped her the last six months. We've created an online course. And now the entire country, it's turnkey. They click, they watch it. They can get the certification. It's lifetime access as things come out. She she never would have been able to exchange the first week of us coming out has blown her mind of that mental shift that you have this knowledge. Let's make it systematic. You're semi-retired. You've got a lot going on. Let's choose to go to this conference. Let's choose, but not now that's your only income stream is you have to go to these places. Because when COVID hit, a lot of these semi-retired 
midwives that were traveling across the world that have so much knowledge, they were crippled. They were absolutely crippled because that was their only income stream. So I think it's about being smart and it's not about sacrificing midwifery. It's about diversifying your risks. You have choices. Yes. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about how or what your experience has been like with how midwives and chiropractors, and maybe even like we could look at this from the full spectrum, like midwives, chiropractors, doulas, lactation consultants, cranial sacral therapists, massage therapists, like we can all be supporting the pregnant patient or client. And I feel mm-hmm. sometimes that there's confusion well, for a couple of reasons. One is why do I need to refer my clients to those other professionals when I could maybe just do that. And I'm like, "Mm, maybe, maybe not. Um, And also hmm, it's like, well, let's just start there. Cause I think the other point is going to unfold as we talk about this more. No, I think it's, it's a great place because it's about you branding your ideal client. Yes, we can do all like a midwife has a lot in their scope, but mm-hmm. if infertility doesn't make you happy, don't try to market just because you're trying to get any little lady that can bring money in because your practice isn't going to be sustained long-term. And I think it's the same for chiropractors, doulas. We may be able to cross refer each other's services and that may be something we can do, but I'm not going to be able to do it as well as somebody that's passionate and that's what they do all day long. And they, they do, they just have this known for it. Um, I'm a huge fan of creating community centers. Oh my goodness. If we could have birth centers and community centers where chiropractors, alternative therapists, um, hands-on practitioners could join forces. I just, it blows my mind how it's not happening more. I think so many of us are like, oh, I'm going to start my practice in this strip mall. It's small. It's simple. Like, why can't we reach out to all these great people finishing training, starting their own practices and share an office together, um, cross-refer like crazy women and families that tend to pick these practitioners are more likely to pick the other. They're not going to be part of the mainstream system. They're already looking for that similar philosophy of care. So I think it is very powerful. I talk about it often with my um, midwives, getting creative with marketing, not just going to your church, not just going to a doctor's office, but um, all these alternative therapists, you can cross-refer a massage. Um, I mean, there's so many out there that have private practices that we don't tap into that leverage of the small business, which I think is more important now than ever. This brings me to the other point that I was thinking about, which is in an area like St. Louis, for example, where I live close to, um, I guess we're considered St. Louis Metro. We're probably like stretching in a bit there though. There's a lot of chiropractors because we have a chiropractic school here and the students will often finish their studies and want to practice in this area because they've already put down roots here and maybe they want to focus on prenatal care. And they're like, well, I can't, I can't be a prenatal chiropractor because there's already so many prenatal chiropractors here. And all the midwives are already referring to all the other established practices. Um, There's one person in my mind who I always think of this scenario and her because she felt that way. And lo and behold, there was a birth center that opened just shortly after the time that she had completed her degree. And they, I don't know if they were looking for a chiropractor or if she approached them, but eventually she became like their chiropractor on staff. And her practice has grown a lot since that has happened. They've been on television because they're one of um, the only birth centers in uh, the St. Louis area for sure. And probably in the whole state, they specifically focus on supporting women of color, families of color. And, um, I'm like, you know, you could have never known that that opportunity was coming. Like it just happened at the right time and in the right place for you, (laughs) for her to be a part of that experience. Um, but but prior to that, she was like, I I really want to niche down to prenatal, but I can't because there are so many other people who are doing that already. And I'm like, "Mm, 
you can still do it. (laughs) Yeah. And that's that scarcity versus abundance, because I think too many times we don't even look at the opportunities that could be out there because we mentally told ourselves, we hit that glass ceiling we put on ourselves. Well, I might as well not even reach out and call. I'm assuming they've gotten 20 calls from all the other, you don't know, maybe the, the chiropractor they referred to for 20 years, just retired. You have no idea. Maybe they got really frustrated. Maybe they loved this person. And then the last six months, they've been treating their ladies like crap because they're busy. They're just the mission, the connection. You don't know. Is it going to hurt to reach out? Like um, I was just talking to probably one of the doulas that works at that birth center because we were talking this morning, Candace Ward, about just the doula collective and the power it has to group like-minded individuals together to learn from each other, to um, support marketing. I mean, if you could do cross marketing together, you're going to cut your cost a fraction. And now you're looking as this this branded, we're a strong, um, we have similar philosophies, we have similar thought process. That's only going to strengthen your reputation faster in the community. Yeah, it's it's the notion that we hear a lot about on social media, and it sounds sort of cliche, right? But it's collaboration over competition. It can be really easy to fall into a competitive mindset and think that, um, someone who opens a practice right across the street from yours is going to steal all your patients away from your practice and feel really bad about it because you think that you're going to go under and you're not going to make it. But I have seen this happen time after time where someone is concerned about, you know, another practitioner of the same, of the same modality moving right near them, starting a new practice right next door sometimes And what happens is as long as they both keep going, they actually both end up being successful. And and ultimately what that means is that there are now not one, but two people or two businesses who are providing the care that they provide for the community instead of just one before. And I see that happen over and over again. So whenever someone comes to me and, and they're like so upset and worried and anxious about um, some competition, some perceived competition moving into their area. I'm like, no, you just do your thing. You're going to be good. And I know it feels scary, but when you shift from that abund from the scarcity perspective to the abundance perspective and you, you trust it, it, it almost always works out. Yeah. We talked to a lot of midwives about that. Cause they're like, Oh, only 1% choose home birth. 1%. There's too many midwives in this area. And I'm like, there is 80% low risk, healthy women that would choose this option. If they knew their choices, they knew like, like I joked, but didn't joke when I would meet with the other midwives, I was like, you're not my competition. The healthcare system, the branding, the, the knowledge barrier is my competition because there is so many women out there to serve. We're already crazy busy, or even like the niche on top of niche being a midwife and a consultant, there's a dozen across the country and the world that do midwifery business. And they're always so hesitant. There's a huge age gap. There's one that's five years older than me, but the rest are all semi-retired, 60 plus. And they're like, well, I'm sorry, you're my competition. Oh, you don't have to send anybody my way. And I'm like, we're all good at something. One is phenomenal at insurance contracting. I'm really good at the business side. The other one's good at the clinical side. She did interim. Like, It's stressing what each person's strength is. And I'm wholeheartedly saying, sending them to other competition, because that's not what I'm good at. I want, this is my target market. This is what I can leverage and help. And guess what? When they do the insurance contracting and it gets to that part of the process, they're going to send them my way because it's, it's a respectful relationship. And guess what? These practices are going to be so much better. The families we serve are going to be so much better when we stay in what our love and our calling is and what we're good at. It took me a long time to learn this lesson. (laughs) I mean, I might make it sound like it's so easy now, but even in my online business, I started in 2015. Well, 15 was the first year that I actually earned some money. I kind of started in 2014, but made zero money. And um, even after I kind of got narrowed down to the, the niche of supporting women in chiropractic in 2016, I was like, Oh, you need help with marketing? Yes, I can help you with that. Oh, you need help with time management? Yes, I can help you with that. You want to scale your practice? You want to open a second location? You want to hire an associate? Like all the things, as long as you were a woman and a chiropractor, I can help you with that. And I have helped a lot of people with all those things, but I started to realize 
I don't really want to help everybody with all these things. I want to know who is the best person for them to go to when they are wanting to open a second location or when they're wanting to um, hire their third associate or when they're wanting to um, like really dive deep into online marketing and just like see a high volume of patients in their practice. That's not me. That's not what I'm really best at. So um, I don't want to, I don't want people to work with me to do those things. <laughs> I want them to well, go and to that's that what's person. been interesting to me. Like you and I talked about, I think our first conversation is there's very few specialists and chiropractors because of that initial fear. I'm new. If I specialize, I'm not going to get enough people. And then they get in this cycle that they would love. They're taking care of everything, people they don't want to. They've gotten into this loophole of campaigning they can't get out of. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because midwifery, it's and even just to any business in general, you're like, I just I'll do all these services services and some of it's trial and error because you're trying to learn yourself, but it's also like that fear. If you make it too narrowed, is it going to fill? Um, and a great thing to bring up, like our value as chiropractors and midwives, isn't just the care we provide. It's who we know. It's the network. It's the resources. If I mean, I've learned that power with talking to midwives all over the country. If I can get them to that amazing accountant in Louisiana, or I can get them into that a couple amazing marketers that know the ins and outs of midwives, how much better their business is going to know do just because I connected them with people. Um, like I found there's a lot of great uh, midwives doing projects all over the country that are doing the exact same thing and just getting them connected together on the phone call, the power it had that they leveraged each other's momentum. So I think it is, we don't give enough respect to the currency value, the, the, the compounding effect of relationships. Um, it's too much of that time exchange. So I think that's what I love about um, being a business owner and thinking how powerful knowing chiropractors and doulas are. And that cross-referral basis is you can't put enough stress on the compounding return on investment and branding you will have. I've always had this perspective that if I don't know how to solve the problem that you have, like if you come to me as a client, I don't know how to solve that problem. I have a responsibility to you to know who, who can solve that problem for you, who can help you with that problem. And, um, that's made it easy for me as an introvert to work, um, to put in a lot of time in quite honestly, in building relationships and building my network, um, helping more people know me so that I also know them and trust the work that they do so that when someone comes to me and says, can you help me with this? And I'm like, no, I can't. However, the good news is I know exactly who can. And that just feels good to me. It takes the pressure off of me of having to solve all the problems for everybody, which feels extremely exhausting. Yeah. Well, cause in the beginning it was like, I have to know everything. I have to know everything because what if they ask me this, what as a client, what if they ask me this? And then as you get experience and you start doing professional development and you start learning just that humility side, we're human beings. We're all human beings. We can't know, but your power is connecting with great people in your community or resources. Cause yeah, if they come to you and they're like, I would love to know X, Y, Z. And you tell them I can't help you versus, you know, I can't help you, but I know an amazing person. They're going to look tenfolds at you like, holy cow, she didn't just put a wall up and now I'm on Google trying to figure this out. She just sent me to the best of the best, that value and that reputation of you, even though you weren't a great fit for this person, they're going to now refer like, oh my goodness, she, she wasn't good for me, but I know other people that would be great for that connection. Awesome. Okay. So hmm, are there any points that you wanted to cover that we haven't yet? I think it's just, I, I love working with, I can't stress enough the power chiropractors, midwives, hands-on practitioners have to group together. I, I can't stress that enough with community centers and our private practices and making meetups, making, I mean, there's professional meetup groups all the time at chambers and local things. I just, it's blown my mind how alternative practitioners haven't created it among their own networking opportunities among each other. And maybe there are some places across the country I haven't found it, but I think it's just if you're a new practitioner or you're you're well-established, but you want to take it to the next level or just put your guard down and make some phone calls, make some cold calls. Say, I know with COVID, it's a little hard. We can't go in person, but you can say, can I have a phone call for 15 minutes over your lunch break? Can I do a quick Zoom call? I would love to learn more about you. 
I don't know any business owners that would say, of course, I'm not going to tell you about my services. Like they want to share their knowledge and their resources with you. So you can send it'll be vice versa. I actually find it so much easier to send an email or like an Instagram DM to people that I want to connect with than to pick up the phone and call them. So, or, or just like walk into their business, especially now I'll do it. <laughs> I will do it. And I'm much more comfortable with it now than I was 10 years ago. You know, I'm 40 now and I was 30 then big difference. Um, I also had three children. So I think that <laughs> plays a big part into it too. I like, I want to demonstrate for them just, you know, the like level of, of confidence in yourself to be able to approach someone and ask them a question, um, in a safe way. So yeah, I, I will definitely do it, but I am so much more comfortable just like sending a, a message to say, Hey, I, I love your profile. And, you know, sometimes people will send me those messages or like, Oh, I love your profile. And I can tell that they actually haven't even looked at it. They don't really seem to have, um, any idea what it's actually about. They're just kind of like spamming me with their message, but I actually look at someone's stuff and I'm like, Oh yes, this is someone that I want to know. And then I, then I do this like gut check thing. We're like, do I want, would I want to help this person grow their business? Yes or no. And if it's a yes, then I message them. If it's like, nah, I don't know. Then I just, no, not now, maybe later. <laughs> Yeah. And that's, and you got to listen to those gut feelings. You don't have to refer and you don't have to meet everybody, but yeah, doing the research. I mean, the World Wide web now we can learn a lot about people in a short amount of time, their hobbies, their family, their belief system. And do I want to affiliate my business with that type of person? So yeah, there's a lot of great potential with midwives and chiropractors. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So if someone wants to learn more about what you do, where's the best place for them to find you? Yep. So I'm on LinkedIn, Leslie Cornwell. I am on Facebook. We have a page midwifery business consultation, and I also have a website midwiferybusinessconsultation.com. Um, they're more than welcome to send me an email. If they have a question, it's midwiferybusinessconsultation at gmail.com. So there's a lot of repetition. If you Google search, you will find plenty ways with midwifery business consultation to find me. And you also have a podcast. I think it's on your website. Is the yep. podcast a different name? Nope. It's Midwifery Business Consultation. It's through the Podbeam platform. I replicate my YouTube channel. So it's very similar. Uh, it's just like a lot of midwives like the audio version. Um, so yeah, I interview the last year. I've had a lot of fun. I interview great um, practitioners all over the country. Tends to be more midwives, but I do doulas. I do chiropractors. I do anybody that's part of business ownership and private practice alternatives, supporting women and families. So yeah, there's a lot of great conversations. I have one with Mike Quas a chiropractor a couple times talking about the businesses and that referral mindset. And so it, it gets you when you get creative and you open up these doors of, I'm just going to meet great people and have some conversations that you now get so many people to learn from that. Just like today. Awesome. Leslie, thank you so much for everything that you've shared today and just for being fun to talk with. <laughs> Yeah, no problem. I'm excited. I, I think there's so many possibilities. I, I think we've got this big momentum with healthcare shifts. People, healthcare is getting very expensive with the pandemic and um, you're doing telemedicine and you're paying two, $300 for what people are really starting to value more than ever quality care and the value. So I feel like chiropractors, alternative therapies, hands-on practitioners, this is our time. It truly is. Do you want to make more money without squeezing more patients or clients onto your schedule? If that's you, be sure to take my free class. In it, you'll learn how to bring leveraged income into your practice so you can work less, live more, and help more people than ever before. You can get signed up by going to drdanielleaton.com and click free.